everybody. Welcome to Props and Hops, powered by Dimers.com. I'm Matt Landis, and in this week's episode, I'm excited to welcome back Allison, my wife and the unofficial executive producer of this show. Last month, we had her on for the Super Bowl postmortem episode, and her sharp mind when it comes to sports was on full display. In this episode, it's her sharp palate that goes on display when it comes to the nuances of craft beer, and that's because we kick things off with a tasting of some IPAs and sours side-by-side from two recent beer boxes we were able to get, one being the New York City Beer Week beer box, and the other, a recent California craft beer box we were able to pick up, so it was really fun to enjoy the best of both coasts from the comfort of our own home, and to see the beers we discuss, you can check out my profile on Instagram, at Props and Hops. We also discussed some baseball and basketball, including insights from a trip we took last week to spring training in Arizona. It was a really fun and unprecedented experience given the circumstances in play right now, and we also weave in a cautionary tale for baseball betters. And when it comes to basketball, we took our shot at beating the buzzer with some March Madness bracket and betting tips before the tournament tips off on Friday. If all that sounds good, I'd appreciate it if you could follow or subscribe to Props and Hops wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, a quick rating and review would also be much appreciated to help more people discover the show. Also, if you're looking to get your sports betting fix year-round, check out Dimers.com, where right now the Dimers team is running a March Madness contest. It's free to enter, it only takes a few seconds to sign up, and you'll randomly be assigned a team to ride with throughout the tournament. And if that team ends up cutting down the nets after the championship game, you'll win $100. I've included a link to the sign-up page in the show notes for easy reference. And with that housekeeping taken care of, let's get to this week's conversation and coast-to-coast beer tasting with Allison. Alright, the queen of the castle is back. Allison, welcome back to Props and Hops. Ready to talk some beer, baseball, and basketball? Yes. Alright, so we're going to kick it off with some beer. A couple weeks ago, we had Ann Riley on the show from the New York City Brewers Guild. We talked about beer boxes they were putting together. So we have two beers from the New York City Beer Box, and we're going to compare it side by side with a couple beers from an LA-based beer box. It's called the Hot Box. It was a collaboration between Hopped LA, an organization that covers local craft independent beer in Southern California, namely the LA area, as well as the Glendale Tap, which is one of the best, if not the best, craft beer bars in the LA area. So we've got a couple hazy IPAs, one from each coast, and then a couple of sour beers, one from each coast. And we'll get into these. Wanted to give a quick disclaimer that these are four beers out of myriad beers from well over 130 breweries represented in New York City and L.A., so this isn't meant to be comprehensive or a definitive ranking, but it's going to be a lot of fun, and all four of these beers made the cut for their beer box inclusion, so it should be a really good time. They look pretty. Yeah, yeah, the hazies are are nice and bright, and then the sours are like bluish-pinkish, so we'll dive in. We've got four beers um, lined up in taster glasses. So I guess going from right to left, we can get things going with number one. This is a hazy IPA. That one smells really good. Oh, yeah. I get a lot of pineapple. Yeah, it smells fruity. Wow, a lot of like pineapple, like citrusy. Yeah, that's, wow, that sets the bar high from the get-go. Ooh, that's smooth. Yeah. Really smooth, and if it's not an IPA, it's a double IPA. It's also really creamy on the back end. 
Do you want me to reveal which one it is? Yeah, this is a really good one. Let's see which one it is. It's either an L.A. or New York-based hazy IPA. All right, we got one from the L.A. box. This is actually a California brewery, but not based in L.A. They've got some ties to Southern California. It's Moxa, Meeting of the Minds. And I'm going to grab a little bit of info on this description. All right, so from the beer box, there was a card describing each beer. So this is Moxa Brewing, Meeting of the Minds, Hazy Double IPA, collab with Slice and Urban Roots. These are all up in the Sacramento area, I believe. I know Mokes is about 30 minutes outside of Sacramento, maybe a little less. It says Rockland. So I think what they did is worked with a pretty similar base, and they all made this beer, and then there were some slight variations, I think maybe in the yeast, so they all kind of did their own take. This is the Moxa version of Meeting on the Mines, and it's fantastic. The description... It's 8.3, but doesn't taste like 8.3. Yeah, yeah, and on the card it says 8.2. Either way, that's semantics. I mean, this is north of 8% ABV, Hazy Double IPA, yeah, three-way collab between Moxa, Slice, and Urban Roots, hopped with Simcoe, Strata, and Nelson hops, fermented with London 3 yeast, and features notes of tangerine zest and ripe pineapple. Yeah. I like this one a lot. This one really nailed it. Definitely getting that, again, I, I got a lot of citrus, and the pineapple really jumps out, so this sets the bar very high right from the get-go. I think we're, we're going to be quite nice. possibly finishing off this can. I think it delivers on the description. It's it, definitely as described. Yeah, I mean, right off the bat, we're thinking pineapple and citrus, and, and they're saying pineapple and tangerine. And yeah, for 8.3% to be that <laughs> smooth, it's one of those beers that tastes light, even though the ABV might indicate it's pretty heavy. So well done, Moxa, Urban Roots, and Slice. I know, I want to go there now. Yeah. All right, here, so here comes number two. This is also an IPA. I don't really smell anything. Yeah, it's not, something seems a little bit sweet or like candied fruit to me. I'm getting a little bit of sweetness, and that's about it. Not as much of a nose. I mean, the bar was set so high with that first one. Mm, it is really smooth. I'm getting maybe a little bit of grapefruit on the flavor. Oh, that is nice. Yeah. Yeah, it hits you later. Mm-hmm. Definitely has that grapefruit. Was it more like tart or... It's not sweet. Yeah, when I smelled it, I thought it might be a little bit sweeter than it tasted. It's a pleasant surprise to drink it, and it's smoother and not too sweet or cloying. Does it have a little bit of a wine taste to you? It does to me. Now that you say it, when I smell it, like a almost like a... It's a little bit of like a white wine taste. Hmm. hmm. Definitely when you say it, I can pick up on hints <laughs> of that. And one hop they often use, we'll see when we reveal this one in a sec... But Nelson hops, often Nelson Savian, it's like grape skins, kind of a white wine type of note is common in that beer. All right, so this one is called Party of One Hazy IPA, and it's by Six Point Brewery in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. So this came from the New York City Beer Box. I'm going to pull up their description there. This one's 7.9% ABV. Yeah, well, uh, good call on the white wine because they do have the Nelson Savian hops, so that's, I think, what's contributing that. The description, hazy IPA with Nelson Sauvin and brew one hops. It says on the can, too, that special NZ sauce that tastes like delicious white wine. Wow. (laughs) The nail on the head. There you go. Wow. Go me. Yeah. That's a a good note right off the can label. And then, yeah, on, on their website, they mentioned the combo of hops. Again, brew one, adding a lot of pineapple juice, they say. And then, yeah, Nelson with some white wine. 
I didn't get as much of the pineapple. No, I got the wine. (laughs) More on the flavor than the aroma, but the white wine's really there. So two for two in fitting the descriptions perfectly. I would say that Moxa Urban Roots and Spice collab just set the bar so high. That one's really good. Yeah. All right. So now we can move over to the sour side of things. Yeah. These both look Mm. what like bluish, purplish, reddish. This one looks really like a deep red to almost like a burgundy. Yeah, that one I smell. That has to be raspberry, right? I get, I think maybe more blueberry. Based mm-hmm. on the appearance, it could be either. It smells really good. Yeah, I would guess blueberry tasting. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Tasting it. Well, we'll have to see. Tasting it, it, it could be a mix of blueberry mm-hmm. and raspberry, but... It definitely tastes more like blueberry, but smells more like raspberry. Let's see. Yeah, and I think the smell is a little bit stronger than the flavor, which we do see from time to time with sours. I think it's all the beers. All right, this is another (laughs) New York beer. This is by KCBC, Kings County Brewers Collective, Breakfast Zombie Apocalypse Fruited Sour. And it has pictures of it. It looks like blackberry, strawberry, and blueberry. Um, Let's see what it says. You can look at yours. Sour ale with acai, blueberry, strawberry, black raspberry, banana, vanilla, and milk, sugar, toasted oats, wheat, and barley. So it's pretty much every berry. Wow. Okay. So all of the above. (laughs) We were both right. Yeah. Wow. Geez, yeah, it's a little bit of everything. I guess that makes it hard to like pinpoint any one thing, but all together. I like it. If you like berries, (laughs) it's really good. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes when... A beer has milk sugar or lactose on the mm. description. That's a bit of a red flag because if they go overboard, it can be too sweet. This That's doesn't good. seem to cross that line and it doesn't feel too heavy or weighed down. So this, really finessed. This is good because it doesn't taste like, what do they call them, those smoothie beers? Yeah. It's like on the border of being that, but like it doesn't cross over because I don't like those smoothie beers. I think except that one we had from Modern Times that was really good. Yeah, Modern Times nails it with that style, but a lot yeah, of other places, you don't. wouldn't even know it's a beer, so in no, a sense, no. what's the point? And this does still fit the mold of a sour beer. I said, this is like a sour that's teetering on the line of becoming a smoothie beer, so if you like the smoothie beer style, I think this does it better, but if you don't like the smoothie beer style, which we don't really, this is this is great. Like, yeah. This is the cutoff, I Yeah, that's say. a really good point. All right, so I think all three have been really good so far. Really good. And beer number four coming up. Ooh. This one smells really good. Whoa. Yeah. What is that? This, that also oh, has man. a lot of berry to it, but more like the pink berry. Like it's like a strawberry or one more like the red pink berries, I think. Mm. This one seems more, even more fruit forward. Maybe it doesn't have vanilla or lactose and it's just a pure mm. blast of that fruit. Probably a similar fruit mix, but. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. Just even more fruit forward without any of the other sweetness or lactose, I would guess. All right, so this one is called the the Chime Rat. C-H-I-M-E-R-A-T. Acai Blueberry Sour. This is by the Long Beach Beer Lab. It looks like it's a collab with Creative Creature, which is a brewing company in San Diego. The description of that from the beer box, it doesn't look like the can label has too much to say. But the description from the the hot box reads, 7.5%, holy smokes, 7.5% fruited sour ale collab brewed with a ridiculous amount of acai and blueberry to tickle the taste buds and balance the 
excuse me, balance the ABV with these. Maybe the ABV is already getting to me. Jammy blueberry and fruity acai coat the palate with unctuous fruit roll-up vibes. Yeah, the fruit roll comes through. I definitely got that wrong. I thought it was more like the pink berries, but I guess this acai is becoming really popular in the beer, so it's hard to pinpoint because acai tastes like a bunch of different berries. How crazy is that between the LA and New York beer boxes getting two blueberry acai sours, among other things. Wow, so all four are really good. I think which one I like of the sours more. Let's see. I'll revisit them along with Mm. you here. Think of the sours, though. I think I still like that New York one a little bit better. You can elaborate for The a one sec, from so. KCBC. I just think I really like a sour, and it definitely tastes sweeter. Because like we said, it's kind of bordering that like smoothie style. But where the smoothie style goes over the top with it, this one does it just right. Yeah. Like, But the one... F- from from Long Beach Beer Lab is lighter, like it's a lighter one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the what's the ABV on the KCBC. Yeah, I'm checking right now. I don't know if it's six percent. That's funny because this one tastes the KCBC mm-hmm. tastes like it would have the lighter ABV, and the um, Long Beach Beer Lab one. Yeah, I don't, that's surprising that that one's so high. It's seven point five, but. I think I think I like the KCBC more. Yeah, said like a true New Yorker. I I know I keep picking all the New York ones because I think I'd also this the oh no no the, that one's Northern California okay yeah because I was gonna say for the other ones the IPAs I would I'm gonna go to, with the the Moxa one, which is California so I'm pretty split. Yeah, and I would give the nod with the sours to the Long Beach Beer Lab version. But to your point, you said you liked the sweetness Mm -hmm. and how the KCBC beer kind of towed the line of a smoothie-style beer without crossing it. That is impressive. I like that beer a lot. But I do think, for me, the Long Beach Beer Lab one being less sweet, still very fruit-forward, and even though it drinks lighter, it's 7.5% ABV versus 6 so to get that extra ABV with a lighter, less sweet mm-hmm. mouthfeel and flavor, that's these are both really impressive, but I think Long Beach Beer Lab really nailed it. And that's a spot I'd love to check out at some point because I've been hearing good things about their IPAs and other styles too. So Yeah, we haven't been there. Yeah, we haven't been quite down to that end of the South Bay yet, but I think this puts it higher on the list. Yeah, and then for the IPAs, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the the six-point party of one is really good, but that meeting of the minds, yeah. the Moxa version that they collab with, Slice and Urban Roots, that's just phenomenal. That's that, really good. I think that's the best beer of these four. I was just going to say the same thing. I'm like, that one probably would be the best one of all of them. Yeah, well, how would you go one through four? I would go um, Moxa, number one. Then I would do the KCBC uh, Sour, number two. Then I would do the Long Beach Beer Lab uh, Sour 3, and then I would do 6.4. But, like, they're all very close together. There was really no dud in the group. Like, I would drink any of them, but if I had to rank them, that's how I would rank them. Yeah, so I would have a pretty similar breakdown. The Meeting of the Minds by Moxa, number one. I'll go with the Long Beach Beer Lab Sour, the the Chime Rat. Um, I'll put that number two. And then the Breakfast Zombie Apocalypse by KCBC, that's how it would be number three. And then it seems sad to have to put anything in last. It's one of those things that's a shame somebody had to lose. But still, I would gladly go to Six Point on a future trip to New York. So even though I'm putting that one fourth, it was still a really good beer. 
And one thing I love about all this is all four of these are breweries that we haven't been to before. Mm-hmm. So to get them shipped to your door, or in our case, to have a local pickup at the Glendale Tap for the hot box during times like these, to be able to try beers like this that are otherwise really tough to get access to unless you do some hardcore trading, that's such a big silver lining to the pandemic. And I think it broadens the horizons to places we'd like to go once things really fully open back up. I think it'd be nice with all these cities doing their beer weeks if in the future, you know, obviously next year New York will be able to do theirs in person and everything. But it would be nice that there was still some element where you could also get it shipped. Mm-hmm. I think they should keep that going because it's true. Like, chances are we won't make it to New York Beer Week most years. Um, so it would still be nice to get some kind of box. And I think this year, didn't they do it where they delivered it, but you didn't know which beers you were getting, which is kind of fun. Yeah, it's really fun when they can get a bunch of members of their brewery guild together. And so let's say in New York, there are about 40 breweries and most of them were contributing beers. Some of them contributing multiple beers. So I knew I was getting 12 cans, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know, you know, there might have been a one in four, one in five chance of every possibility that it would show up. So it's nice to take some of the guesswork out of the equation. Like you just get what you get. There's something freeing about that is an admitted beer nerd. Sometimes it can be pretty tempting to look at untapped ratings or find out what's generating a lot of hype or see what your friends are talking about. And it's just trying to tick off boxes but it's really nice just to let the New York City Brewers Guild mm-hmm. curate a box and partner with Halftime to ship it out here. And you get what you get, and none of it's going to suck. So it's varying degrees of good, and it's a really fun way to broaden the horizons and really have a diversity of styles because, frankly, beer nerds these days are chasing hazy IPAs, barrel-aged stouts, and barrel-aged sours. And I know we're doing sours and hazy IPA right here, but the box is also contained lagers and amber ales and different things that we might not seek out ourselves, but it's a good way just to try something different. And it's a way to support good beer that, again, by not being in New York or by not always pursuing those styles, we probably wouldn't have tried otherwise. Yeah, no, that was fun. They were all really good. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. To your point about the logistics of shipping beer and hopefully that outlasting the pandemic, Anne and I were able to touch on that a bit when we spoke about New York Beer Week. And it sounded pretty encouraging. She mentioned that those conversations are ongoing. Mm -hmm. And it's tough to see them trying to, you know, put the snake back in the cage, so to speak. I think that it's been proven. There's a demand for it. It can be done safely and responsibly. And, I mean, another thing, it keeps people off the road. So instead of going to a brewery to pick up beer and you probably have a few pours on site just because you're there and then getting back in a car, you can take that variable out of the equation. So if anything, it might be even more safe and more responsible than what we knew pre-pandemic. And just the overall convenience, there's clear demand for it on the drinker side. Breweries seem to love it as a way to make sure that they can move their beer even if they're not filling their space constantly. So it kind of seems like a win-win. And and as a better, I would say it's probably a pretty heavy favorite that we do see shipping outlast the pandemic, which would just be awesome. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was really fun. Those were good. Well done, Glendale Tap and Hopped LA on the Hotbox and New York City Brewers Guild and Halftime. Thank you for partnering to get some of these great beers out to Southern California. This was a fun experiment. Another fun experiment we had recently was going to spring training, moving on to Mm -hmm. some baseball talk. And it was really fun for a lot of the usual reasons when you go to spring training, more access to players. Everything's more, you know, kind of a chill vibe. We got to see Mike Trout hit a home run. But this being 2021, there were also some pretty interesting wrinkles to our spring training experience. Yeah, I was going to say too, it was exciting doing spring training because it's been almost a year and a half since we went to any game, let alone a baseball game. Mm -hmm. So it felt novel just even 
being able to watch a game in person, it kind of felt like since it was only 25% capacity, like we had our own private game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did kind of feel, it reminded me of high school games. I feel like I might have played in front of as many people as mm-hmm. as we had at Tempe Diablo Stadium on Thursday and Friday when we were there. It was really cool, to your point, also just the general context. Thursday was March 11th, mm-hmm. one year anniversary of the pandemic being declared by WHO, the NBA season getting shut down, the Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson bombshell. So it was kind of nice to be at a baseball stadium. Again, small crowd, face coverings, all those restrictions, but still just having the option to do that and being out there, something just felt really special about it, even though it was just spring training in Tempe, Arizona. Yeah, it was great. It was like everyone's excited to be there. Yeah. And something else that made it, I don't know if this was special, but definitely made it different was the fact that we had some first-time sightings for baseball games. Mm -hmm. I I know two things that stood out were, number one, the game we went to on Thursday, it was played as a home game for the Angels, and they struck out to end a game that they won, which you never see during the regular season. But in spring training, you know, things being what they are in 2021, they just wanted to get their work in. And it was really interesting to see an Angels player strike out to end a game, and then the PA announcer wraps things up with a cheery announcement that they just won. So that was kind of weird, but kind of fun. And earlier in that game, another first-time sighting was a pitcher getting pulled twice in the same Mm -hmm. game. So it was almost a little bit like the Wild West with no rules, but that also kind of felt appropriate for the spring training vibe. And just for the past, the way things have been going the past year, it was a little bit of a free-for-all, but that made it kind of fun. I didn't even realize that they weren't going to play all nine innings of the games. Um, so we could also, like, we asked the guy who sold us um, your uh, Firestone beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my even haze. Yeah, he was even like, oh, it's eight innings today. And then the game we went to, like said, was seven. And then you were telling me before the game that, like, pitchers can come in and out, which they can't obviously in a regular game. So it was just kind of funny to see all the different sort of rules. And then in that Dodgers game, they just like ended the inning whenever they felt like it. (laughs) Yeah, so I think this would have been the first inning. It was Thursday night. The Dodgers were playing the Mariners. We were getting dinner at Taco Guild, which was a fantastic spot, I believe just a little bit north of downtown Phoenix. And we're watching Trevor Bauer pitch, and he's obviously the Dodgers' big free agent acquisition, you know, kind of getting his feet wet, prepping for the season. And he was erratic. I think I saw him hit a batter. He was walking guys, really struggling with his command. And I think it was the first inning. The Mariners had, I believe, the bases loaded and one out. And Dave Roberts just decided to wave the defense off the field and and call it an inning. So that was really interesting from a betting standpoint. Because if you have the Mariners, there are odds posted. You can bet these spring training games. Do so at your own risk. But the Mariners were a plus 175 underdog. And you've got to be feeling pretty good if you're holding a Mariners ticket when they have the bases loaded and one out and they've got Bauer reeling in the first inning. And once they get clear of Bauer, he's probably the Dodgers' best pitcher that's going to go that day, so things could really look good for them. But that rally gets thwarted because Dave Roberts doesn't want to overextend his pitcher. But so that's interesting, too, because with it being a little bit of a free-for-all, and first off, like, are the rules a little bit up in the air because of COVID, or are they always like that for spring training? It's different this year. I think part of it is COVID and part of it also related to a pretty big restructuring of the minor league system. Mm. So teams have fewer affiliates. The spring training rosters aren't as deep. So part of it was structured so that up to a certain date, games could be as short as five innings. And then after a certain date, they do play the full nine unless there's extenuating circumstances. So it's kind of an on-ramp for the players knowing that you know, in the beginning, the you know the stars might just get their one or two at bats, and if they leave the game in the third or fourth inning, 
the rosters aren't as deep to churn through enough guys to make it through nine innings. And his fans, honestly, I, I didn't miss it. Seeing a seven-inning no. game, if Mike Trout plays five and you just see a couple innings of the B team, we didn't really miss it. It, it was really interesting, though, thinking about if you're betting on this or, or booking this action, that's also a whole new variable. Well, that's what I was going to ask. So that was the second part of the question. Like, knowing that it is a little bit more um, flexible, like the rules and the structure of the game. First off, if you're a sports book, why would you even have this as an option to bet any of these games, no matter what you're betting, even beyond win-loss? And then as a better, what's in it for you? Yeah, I think that's a great question. <laughs> and I have uh, what might be a decent educated guess, but I would love to eventually have a bookmaker on the show and circle back to this topic because there's all kinds of randomness in play here. And from the bookmaking side of things, I would guess what they do is they figure, you know, what these rules, both managers have the same levers they can pull. Mm -hmm. So maybe depending on what bets you took on what game and where your liability is as a sports book, there's, you know, half the time they pull that, you know, let's just end the inning early. That could work in your favor. Half the time it could work against you. And if you're just playing the volume game, knowing that roughly 50% of the time it'll be a good break, 50% of the time it'll be a bad break. If you're baking in that, you know, five to 10% house edge on the lines you're dealing. If the breaks get split down the middle, good and bad, and you just pocket that five to 10% edge, mm-hmm. then you're going to come out ahead. So for them, it's, I would guess it's more of a volume game. Like anything can happen. But I mean, and in college basketball, David Malinsky would always talk about like being wary of betting the Saturday morning games in small conferences because the refs who would do those games, you know, it's, there's more than 300 college teams. And if you're, you know, somebody out there was, you know, part of the 150th ranked refereeing crew. And if they don't really know what they're doing and they're working another job full time during the week, then, you know, there are vagaries in play there too. But those games get booked. So I think for sports books, it's just trusting that the variance more or less should even out in the long run. And if you play that volume and roll with your house edge, you're going to come out on the profitable side of things. When you're talking about the refs, I was laughing because it reminds me of that line about like, well, someone had to be the last in their class in med school. So it's like, you may have the doctor that graduated last. It's like, he or she is still a doctor, but there might be the bottom of the barrel. So these Saturday morning refs, it's like, you may still be like a basketball referee, but you might be the very last one to make the cut. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of my best friend, Ryan and his wife, Jess out in Vegas. We'll be hopefully seeing them pretty soon here. And he had the joke when he he's a doctor out there, and when he graduated, he had the quip like, "What do you call somebody who graduates last in a class in med school?" Doctor. A doctor. <laughs> I don't think Ryan finished last in his class. Knowing him, he probably finished quite high near the top. But there is the notion that you know, if you go to the hospital enough times over the course of your life, you might see the person who finished at the top of their class, and you might deal with the person who finished at the bottom. But at the end of the day, they're all doctors. Oh God, that's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> we should drink more beer to forget that. Yeah. Yeah, we still got some meeting of the minds by Moxa left, so I, I'm on board with that plan. Yeah. And then to answer the other part of the question as a better, in my head, I kind of chunk it into three types of people who might bet spring training games. One of them, there could be sharp betters when it comes to this stuff. I think it's very few and far between. Even a lot of people who make a living betting the NFL and NBA and most sports. I know golf is getting a lot of traction as a big sport to bet these mm-hmm. days. The analytics, I think, are getting pretty good with it. But baseball just seems like a really tough nut to crack let alone spring training baseball let alone the 2021 version of spring training baseball so it's 
it's got to be tough, but I do think there are some people out there, and it's not the type of people who would get in front of a microphone on a podcast and share their edges or get on social media and promote themselves. They probably want to go undetected. Well, I think they're also just people who just really like betting. Like, you have to have a good sense of humor to be someone who's going to bet on a spring training baseball game. Yeah, and that's another category I would say. So there they're probably are just the sharp bettors who also maybe they, they're not just good at handicapping a spring training matchup, but they might know, hey... Uh, Mike Trout was scheduled to play today, but they, they scratched him. They just wanted to give him a day off. Or Otani was going to start the Major League spring training game, but they decided to put him in a B-level game on the backfields mm. so that he could just, you know, get up and down five times and not worry about the process of completing an inning or, or doing everything on the, you know, the A game, as they call them. So if you're quick to that information and, you know, hey, if Trout's sitting or if a good pitcher turns out not to be starting and a worse pitcher is going to get in, if you can act before the number changes, you can yeah. get a good price on the other team. So some of it is just knowing how to get good information and read the market. So that's definitely part of it for some people. But yeah, I think there are some people who just want to bet. I mean, it's the same type of people who were betting table tennis or, you know, Croatian darts or whatever yeah. was going on when nothing else was happening last spring and summer. Yeah. So I think for some people, it's just a way to whet the appetite. Hopefully they're not betting too much more than they should be and, you know, we don't want to encourage any degenerates out there, but that's that's got to be part of the equation. Well, and it also makes the spring training more fun because I can't get beyond the fact that like going to spring training, it's really more of a social thing, which is weird to say right now because we're still in a pandemic. So it was just the two of us there, but it really is again more like you're sitting in the stands and you're obviously watching, but you're you're more just like enjoying a private game where you can also just like talk and be outside and like be around other people, even if not close to them and socializing with them. So if you bet on it, at least it actually have some skin in the game. And then I'm like, yeah, you would watch all seven, eight, nine innings, whatever they play, and you'd be very invested. Yeah, I would have loved to be sitting next to somebody with a ticket on the Mariners yeah. in that Mariners-Dodgers game just to see what the reaction would be to something like that. I know David Molinsky had the phrase occupational privilege tax, mm-hmm. where you just accept all the vagaries and the bad balances at the outset. But that's got to be a tough pill to swallow, especially when it's such a new wrinkle. That's not something that betters have had to account for in the past. So as a fan at the game, that's, that's I'd say, the third category. It's sharp betters, people who might be more of the degenerate side and just want some action, and people who might not even typically identify as betters, but hey, we're going to a sport event, there's odds on it, let's just throw down a few bucks and see what happens. Had I known that we could bet on it, it actually would have been really fun to make like a couple of very small bets, just because then I think I would have really watched, because yeah. we would have come pretty into those games. Yeah, we're watching a, a guy fighting to make the roster as the 25th guy and maybe yeah. make his debut, but really rooting for him hard in the late innings of a spring training game that nobody else cares for. And then we'd be really pissed off when we'd see people like end innings early. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, one of the last plays we saw on Friday uh, in Tempe was Albert Pujols hitting a high, it looked like it might be a foul pop-up for the catcher. It ended up spinning back into the field of play mm-hmm. and Pujols spent the whole time just watching it from the batter's box. And it turns oh, out yeah. the catcher didn't make the play so the ball bounces, and then the catcher could just toss it. I believe the pitcher had gone up the first baseline and tagged Pujols mm-hmm. out. I mean, Pujols probably could have started walking to first base, and by the time the ball somehow hit the ground with the catcher not making the play, he, he would have been there safe. And if you're betting that stuff, it's just, give me a break. But it also does add some entertainment value, because again, that mm-hmm. would be tough if you have a ticket on the Angels and that happens, but if you've got the other team, then, you know, there's just as much of a chance that they'll do something that'll give you an unexpected lucky break. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, so better beware when it comes to spring training in 2021, but it was a good time to get back out there and and just be part of something like that once again. Yeah. And 
On that note, something else that we're about to be part of once again is March Madness Pools. So we can do a little bit of basketball talk here to wrap things up. Quick reminder, if you're looking for some good March Madness prep, Adam Stanko was an awesome guest on the show last week. He specifically identified the key criteria to look for in an NCAA tournament champion. I like to think of it as his way of breaking down the DNA of a champion. It really helps identify probably the four or five teams, not really many more than that, that have a legitimate shot to win it all. Mm. And also the advice of trying to get in smaller pools. Just, again, more brackets in a pool means more variance, and it can possibly dilute your edge if you have one. What's Dimers doing for March Madness? Do they have a bracket or a tournament you could join? They have a sweepstakes that, yeah, that I'll be talking about probably in the tag of this episode as well. But you can basically just sign up to be part of, I believe it's a March Madness sweepstakes they're running, that will assign you a team. So at some point before the games tip off, they're just like, hey, in our contest we're running, you mm-hmm. get this is your team in our pool. So it's not like you're filling out a bracket. It's really easy. It takes like a second to enter. And then it can just be fun to say, okay, cool, I, I got, it'd be fun if I got USC because they're going to be in the tournament this year. And oh, they are? They're probably not going to win it or go too far. Is it going to be Gonzaga or yeah. Illinois or something? Of course, but it, everybody's going to have the teams like that in yeah. their brackets. So it might be fun to just have another team just in case anything totally random happens. And it's like, wow, Utah State's making it to the Sweet 16. Let's yeah. see how far this can go. So, yeah. Um, so those kind of pools are fun as well. And, and when it comes to your bracket, I would say the the biggest key I can offer without getting too repetitive from anything that Adam put so well last week would be to focus on zigging where others zag, knowing that Gonzaga, the clear number one team in the country, undefeated, the Vegas odds give them about a 35% chance to win the tournament Mm -hmm. right now. And there are going to be a lot of pools where upwards of 40, maybe even 50% of brackets have them picked. So you could find yourself in a spot where okay, cool, you identified the champion quite possibly, but even if that's right, you've still got an uphill battle to win it. Whereas if you can go with, I think, the other teams with a real shot to win it, Baylor, Michigan, Illinois, um, possibly Iowa, if they can stay hot with their shooting, that's that's probably about it with the teams with a real shot. But if you go with one of those and you're in a pool where everybody's on Gonzaga or some other team, you can basically put yourself in a spot where, yeah, you're not taking the team as likely to win as Gonzaga, but if you do get the right team in that next tier, then you're sitting pretty if they do come through. Yeah, it's about picking a team that has the chance of winning, but it's like in those uh, football survivor pools. It's like, yeah, you can pick Kansas City, but everyone else is going to pick them. So what's like a half step below them? Because that's the way to get ahead when everyone else is doing the same thing. So that's kind of going to be an interesting thing. So the top four teams you have are what? Yeah, I think the top four would, it probably in this case is the number one seeds. Selection Sunday is ongoing as we record this, but it would be a surprise if the top four seeds were not Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois, and Michigan. Mm. And then Iowa seems like the number two seed with the best chance to also break through. And in some cases, there could be years where a two or three seed is just underrated and might have a real shot. But I do think... The consensus top five teams, in this case, if you look at the AP rankings, probably will be the consensus top five with like analytics people and, and people more in the know than, let's say, AP voters or coaches poll voters. You know, there's a lot of alignment there this year. So I would just suggest looking beyond Gonzaga and also consider where you are. Because yeah. if you're in the region of Michigan, Baylor, Illinois, Iowa, Gonzaga might be a really enticing pick because of the hometown bias. And if you're in Spokane or the general... Pacific Northwest, maybe 
even more than half the picks are going to be on Gonzaga. So you really want to look toward those Big Ten teams or Baylor. Yeah, and that's the thing. It comes down to know your competition. So know your geography, of course, for hometown bias, but also know who you're in a pool with because you may be like us in Southern California, but if there's someone from one of those states too or a group of people who all went to like Michigan together, like, well, then maybe don't pick that team. Yeah. Yeah, so it's all all about trying to find subtle ways to stack the deck in your favor without just looking purely at the rankings or the odds of how likely a team is to win it. Because chances are if you pick Gonzaga, like you're more likely to be right than if you pick any other team, but you're probably not as likely to win your pool because you've got a lot of company with, yeah. the, with the Bulldogs. And one more quick note as we get ready for March Madness to tip off on Friday, a really popular bet beyond the pools will be picking teams in the futures market to win it all. And that's a fun way to, you know, before the first game even starts, let's say, oh, I want to place a bet on Iowa because they're a long shot. But if they do have a chance, that would be really fun. I think one of the worst bets you could make is probably to play them in the futures market and instead looking at rolling them over on the money line in each game. And this is building on a point that Mike Roselli shared very well on the Doggy Juice podcast last week. Um, It's also referred to as a money line rollover or mechanical parlay where you can take Iowa before every game and play them on a game-by-game basis. The benefits of doing that versus a futures bet is that if you roll them over just to win each game, the payout will be a lot better because those futures bets bake in an even higher house take than a typical point spread or total in a given game. So you can get a better payout by just taking them to win all six games if they do indeed come through. There's also a ripcord, as I like to think of it, where let's say Iowa makes it to the Final Four and then... At the end of the last game they had won, their best player got hurt. Okay, you can stop rolling it over, figure, well, I liked them a lot before, but I don't anymore, and then you can just keep your winnings. If you play them on a futures ticket, unless they win it all, then you're not going to profit off that bet unless you decide to hedge at some point, but that also has implications for the long-term expected value of your portfolio. So there's that to keep in mind. And then also the ability to not just, again, if you're playing a futures bet, do look at a few different sports books if you can and try to find the best number because there can be a lot of variance. But if you're betting a team to win six games rolling over the money line, you can shop for the best odds for each individual game, not just trying to find the best odds for one event in the futures market. So that's just five extra opportunities to find a better number to make the most of your betting portfolio. So that's that for March Madness. Hope you enjoyed the beer talk and spring training talk as well. Allison, thank you for rejoining, and we'll have you back on again probably pretty soon because it's not too long until March Madness is over. The excitement around opening day might be tapering off a little bit, and there's a little award show for movies that you might know something about. Yeah, we'll see how the Oscars shape up this year. That'll be interesting, Um, especially how much the Golden Globes seem to crash and burn. Um, So we'll see what gets nominated. We'll have to watch some movies to prepare. Yeah, we already suffered through Mank. That's getting a lot of hype, but it just didn't quite do it for us. I have thoughts. Yeah, so more to come on that front a little bit later down the road. But for now, thanks again for joining. And everybody out there, enjoy baseball coming up soon. March Madness tipping off in a few days. It's just so nice to have some of these events back in our lives. Goodbye. Thanks again to Allison for joining the show this week. If you found any value in our conversation, please share it with a friend. You can also follow me on Twitter at mlandis18 to keep the conversation going. And you can check out the show on Instagram at Props and Hops to get a look at the beers from this week's tasting. 
You can also check out Dimers.com for a write-up on the highlights from this conversation, plus sports betting information you can benefit from all year long, including a free roll to enter the March Madness contest on Dimers.com, where you can randomly be assigned a team to ride with throughout the tournament, and if they cut down the nets, you'll win $100. There's nothing to lose by signing up, and a great ROI for the few seconds it takes to join the contest. And a quick programming note as we wrap things up, I'll have two episodes next week with outstanding guests. Look for one episode earlier in the week with a focus on baseball as opening day approaches, and a second episode later in the week with a focus on the Sweet 16. Friendly reminder, you can follow or subscribe to Props and Hops wherever you get your podcasts to get the episodes in your feed as soon as they go live. Alright, that'll do it for this week's episode of Props and Hops. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the madness this weekend. I'll talk to you early and often next week, and until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well. (laughs) 